forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for it's God through Christ Jesus. It's calling us. church. Good morning and welcome to our house on this holiday weekend. So glad that you guys are here. I know we have a lot of you that are always here and some of you that are here for the, the first time or maybe the second time or third and we're so glad you're here as well. Thanks for coming especially as we kind of land this series today talking about what does it mean to be legacy makers and we're going to do that in just a moment but before we do um, I want to tell you what's coming next because it's summer. Can you believe it's summer. I can't believe it's summer. I know our kids are glad it's summer, or some of them, it's almost summer. They've got a, a few, have a couple of days of school left, but uh, it's summertime. Kids are out of school. It's a great time of year. And next week, we're going to begin a, sort of a summer-long series. And I want to tell you about that just for a moment so you'll know what's coming up. Uh, and so I can invite you back and ask you to kind of keep up with it uh, all summer long. Next week, next week, we begin a new series uh, that we're calling Spirituality, The Reality of the Spirit in You. And if you couldn't guess from the title, this is a series all about the Holy Spirit. Uh, I don't know if you're anything like me. If someone asks you about God, you might be able to say, you know, a couple things that you know or you've learned about God that you think are true about God. If someone asks you about Jesus, you might be able to tell them something about Jesus, a story he told, or something that's true about him or what you believe about him. But when someone asks you about the Holy Spirit, you're like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's a mystery. Um, I'll confess, I don't have it all figured out either, and I'm not going to stand up here over the next uh, few weeks and tell you, uh, uh, you know, everything that's absolute about the Holy Spirit. What I want to invite us to do is to lean into the mystery together, because here's what I believe is true. I really do believe this is true, that the future of your life and the future of this church depends on us being a Spirit-filled people and a Spirit-led church. And there's a lot of mystery around how the Holy Spirit works and who He is and what He does and how He works in our life. And we're going to lean into that together. We're going to look through the Scriptures together, look at the stories in the Scriptures together, and try to recover uh, for us uh, in these days, in this church, in our house. What does it mean to be a Spirit-filled people? And what does it mean to be a Spirit-led church? Uh, I'm really excited because this summer we've got uh, some help. We've got some, some friends uh, of mine and some friends of this church coming this summer to, to, to speak uh, through this. Next week, uh, my friend Rick Ashley from the Hills will be here to kick off this series. So I want to invite you to come back next Sunday to hear Rick. I'm really excited that he accepted uh, my invitation to come. Rick's been a friend to me and, and a mentor, and I'm really glad uh, he was excited to, uh, to be able to come next week and share with us and kick off the series. That'll be fantastic. But we've also got other friends like uh, Randy Harris coming back. It's been a while since Randy's been here. I'm excited uh, for Randy to come and speak uh, later this summer. Also, my friend Brian Moss over in Fort Worth. And their very own, of course, Jason Graves. Got to get him up here at least once. And uh, I'm excited about that. It's going to be a fantastic summer. And here's what I want to ask you to do. Because I know a lot of you, like myself, this summer are going to be traveling. You're not going to be here every week. Uh, this, this morning is evidence of that. People are traveling. People are on the road. I get that. Uh, but, but, but keep up. If you, even if you're not here, 
find a way to watch online, find a way uh, to listen online. You can watch it on Facebook, you can watch it on our website, you can watch it on Vimeo, you can listen to the podcast, subscribe to that, you'll get every episode or every you know, message will, will, will be on there. And you can, even if you're not here, you can follow along with what God is speaking into our house throughout the summer. I think it's really important for us together as a church, as a community, as a, as a, as a, as a fellowship of believers to lean in together this summer to this idea and see what does it mean for us to be a spirit-filled people, and a spirit-led church. So I'm really excited about the summer and the series and what God is going to do. Uh, I'm, I'm just excited to see how it's going to unfold. But this morning, this morning we want to land this series that we've been in the last few weeks called Legacy Makers. And if, you've, if you haven't been a part of that, I can catch you up real quick. Here's what we believe is true. The life you live matters. And the way you live the life you live matters. It matters to God and it matters to the people around you. And if you want to leave a legacy that matters, and especially as a people of faith, if we want to leave a legacy of faith, that does not happen on accident. That happens with intentionality and purpose. And the question that we've been trying to wrap our minds around over the last few weeks is how do we, as a, as a church, how do we as a group of believers in Jesus, how do we leave a legacy of faith? How do we pass on this faith that we've received to our children, to our grandchildren, how do we share this faith with our neighbors and our community and with our friends and with the lost? How do we share this good news about Jesus with those who God has put in our path and in our lives? It's a really big question. And today I want to lean into it one last time, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you this could be awkward. Uh, this could be hard. And, uh, you know, one of the things I love about this church is that we can ask hard questions and we can wrestle with it together. And I want to invite you to do that. And if it's your first time here, I want you to know every Sunday isn't going to be this way. <laughs> but today is. Because as a group uh, of believers here at Riverside, we want, man, we want to get our minds around this question. How do we do this? So I want to start with this really difficult question. How have we contributed to the atheism of our children? I don't like that question. And my guess is you don't either. But I want you to think about it. How have we contributed to the atheism of our children? Um, about this time last year, uh, some of you know my son plays baseball. He showed up this morning in his baseball uniform. He had an 8 o'clock game today. It's just our life. Uh, about this time last year, we were at baseball practice one night. And uh, towards the end of practice, he came up to me and he said, Dad, my, my arm hurts. And being the father of the year that I am, I'm like, rub some dirt on it, you know, <laughs> toughen up. You know, you've got 20 minutes of practice left. Get through it. You're going to be just fine. Uh, turns out uh, he really was hurting. Um, I didn't know it. I didn't get it. Um, and, you know, the next weekend rolled around, and we've got a tournament, and we're out there that morning, Saturday, warming up, doing our normal, you know, throws and long toss. And, and Will, we're, we're, me and the other coaches are watching, and he can't throw the baseball 10 feet. His arm is, is just literally killing him. And I'm like, oh, oh, something really is wrong. And so the advice was take some time off and rest and let it heal. And for the rest of that season, he didn't play in the field. He would hit, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't play. He wouldn't throw a baseball. And for weeks and weeks and months and really months, he didn't, he didn't throw a ball at all. And that's really hard for a 12-year-old boy who loves anything with the word ball in it, football, baseball, dodgeball, basketball. If it ends in ball, he wants to throw it somewhere and hit something with it, right? He couldn't do that. It was really difficult. But he did. He took the time off. And in the spring, we get back. We show up to practice, and we start warming up, and we're, we're thinking everything's fine. And sure enough, that very first practice, he's like, it's, I still feel it. It still hurts. I'm like, man. 
So we talked to our head coach. Our head coach, he played college ball. He played in the Olympics. He played in the minors. He almost played in the majors, except for an injury. He kept him out of that. But he, he knows what he's doing. He's a pitcher. And so he said, okay, you need to go. You, know, you need to go see an orthopedic doctor. You need to go you know, get an x-ray and see you know, what's going on. So we did that. We went to a fantastic orthopedic uh, here in the DFW area. And he shot the x-rays and looked at it. And the good news Good news is nothing, nothing is, is mechanically or physically wrong. It's, he, his elbow is fine. His arm is fine. It's all good. And he said if, you want, if he wants to get better, if he wants to improve, if he wants to get back to, to throwing a baseball and playing baseball, the sport that he loves, then he's going to have to go to physical therapy. Now, I, I've never done physical therapy. Some of you have. I didn't know what that was. I really didn't know what that meant. I've, I've heard of it like I know it exists, but I don't know anything about it. He gave us a prescription, which is basically a, a write-up to give to the, the, the physical therapist. And he, he told us who to go to. And I said, no, no, I know, I know who to go to. I, we here at Riverside, we have the world's best physical therapist in America, Trey Jeffers. I don't know if he's here today, but uh, I was like, we're going to go see Trey. And in fact, that was, a, that was like a Tuesday or Wednesday, Wednesday night. We go to youth group. And I'm like, Trey, Trey, come here. I need, we need to talk. And I give him this sheet of paper. He's like, yeah, I can help bring him to see me. And sure enough, we go see Trey and we start doing physical therapy. And and what happens in physical therapy, at least in, in this situation, is uh, the doctor had given us 10 exercises we all had to learn and do. And by doing these over and over again every day, these re- really awkward, weird kind of movements and exercises that Trey was teaching Will, and, but if he did them every day, it would strengthen all these little small muscles in his shoulder and his arm and his back. And over time, those muscles would get stronger and take the tension and pressure off of his elbow and his arm so he could get back to playing baseball. And I was like, I, I don't know. This looks really weird. The stuff you're doing, he's having you do, it looks really strange. I don't know if this is going to work. But you know, it's been several weeks now. And you know what? It's working. And here's what I learned through watching my son go through physical therapy. This really, you know, universal principle, this is true in all of life. This isn't just true in church. Slow is fast. Slow is fast. If we hadn't done anything, he would have never improved. If he would have tried to go out and just start playing, you know, center field again, he would never be able to throw a baseball into second base. But slow is fast. And by doing the right things over and over again, that can lead to strength and health because slow is fast. Now, you know this principle is true, but this principle both works, works two ways, right? Slow is fast can work in a very positive way. If you do the right things over and over again, it can lead to health and strength. But slow is slow fast can also work in a negative way. And I want us to lean into that tension for a moment because slow is fast. And as we think about leaving a legacy of faith, as we think about church and our children and our grandchildren, slow is fast. And here's the reality we've already kind of touched on, but let's touch on it again today. We are slowly losing our children. We're slowly losing the next generation. That's just a fact. Now, I want to make sure you understand I'm not doom and gloom, and I don't believe you know, Christianity in America or the church in America is in trouble. In fact, I don't think it is. In fact, if you look at some of the most recent research, what you're going to find is that Christian faith in America is as strong or stronger than it has ever been. What's changed is that cultural Christianity is in decline. What's changed is that people who used to come to church because that's just what you did and life revolved around church and the world revolved around church, those people have just stopped coming. Cultural Christianity is 
in decline. But the, the, the faith of those people who were strong in their faith and strong Christians and strong believers in Jesus and followers of the way, that's a stronger, stronger than it's ever been. And I think we can see that truth revealed here in our church. We can see. We can see the evidence of that all around this place. The people who believe what we believe and are all in with God, they are a stronger, stronger than, than, than they have ever been. What hasn't changed, though, is this trend that's been true for at least the last 10 years, if not more, that literally one half, 50% of our children, when they leave high school, they leave the church. When they graduate from church, they graduate from church. And they go on to college, and half our kids are no longer a part of a faith family. And that's true, too. And that's a hard reality for us to get our minds around, but I want us to lean into that tension for a moment. That half of our children, when they leave this church and go to college, half of them will probably find a faith family, a church to plug into, and half of them will walk away. I don't know about you. I'm not okay with that. That's true of Church in America. That's true of what's kind of going on. That's a broad picture, I know, and that's not a lot of details, I know. There's more research out there. If you're interested, I can point you in the right direction. That's true. But I want us to also lean into another point of tension that's really hard. And, and I know that this isn't true of all of you. Not everybody in the room grew up in a church. Not everybody in the room grew up in a church of Christ. But some of you did. And for a moment, I want to talk to those of you in the room who specifically grew up in a church of Christ, a church like this church. I want you to know I love you. I want you to know that's my story too. I grew up in a church of Christ. And some of you, the reason you're here today, the reason you're a part of this church is because of the name on the sign. That's why you came in the door for the first time. That's why you're here. I get all that. And I love that. But over the last month, you know, I received some research that's just recently been done on our tribe and our particular brand of faith. And I want to I share with you what some of that study revealed. According to that study, nine churches of Christ in America close their doors every month. Think about that. According to to this research, 930 members a month, uh, we've lost 930 members a month for the past 18 years. In fact, we as a tribe, as as a church overall, have been on a steady decline since the 1990s. And in less than 30 years, by the year 2050... The churches of Christ at large in America will decline by more than 50%. In fact, the prediction is it will decline much greater than that. The good news is I don't believe Riverside Church of Christ is alike a lot of those churches that the study surveyed. But slow is fast. And as we continue to lose our children, as we continue to see churches getting older and getting grayer, Slow is fast. And my fear is one day we're going to wake up and realize that there's no one to pass a legacy of faith onto anymore. If we don't wake up to the reality of what's going on around us, we're going to wake up to another reality that there's no one to pass our faith onto. And I want to make sure you understand, man, I care deeply about our heritage. I love our heritage so much. I owe it so much. But this morning, I I really care even more for Riverside and for this church and for our desire to be a church 
that's making a difference in this world, that is on mission for Jesus in this world, that is passionate about the mission of Christ in this world, and that is passionate for our community, passionate for our children, passionate for this faith that we have, passionate for the lost. And I think, I think we are that. Can we do better? Can we grow? Absolutely, always. But this is where it's at, right? And it's not my goal this morning to scare you or for fear to be a motivator. I hope you know that. Somebody once said, you know, the first job of any leader is to define reality. This is our reality. But I don't ever want our motivation to be fear. What I really want is for our motivation to be love. For us to love the way Jesus loved. For us to love the lost the way Jesus loves the lost. For us to love our neighbors the way Jesus loves our neighbors. For us to love our kids the way Jesus loves our kids. For us to love the next generation the way Jesus loves the next generation. And here's the good news. The good news is that slow is fast. And when we start making decisions that line up with the mission of God and we start loving the way Jesus loves, when we love who he loves the way he loves, remember that prayer, then over time what can happen is that will lead those small changes made out of those decisions to love the way Jesus loves can lead to long-term growth and lead to us leaving a legacy of faith. Uh, Over the last several weeks, we've been rooted, dwelling in uh, the words of a man named Paul to a church uh, in Philippi. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app, I want to invite you to take that out, open that up, turn that on, whatever you got to do, to Philippians 4, verse 1. Uh, The last few weeks, we've been dwelling in uh, chapter 3 and the words of Paul, who at this point in his life is in prison. We're not sure exactly where, but he's in a jail cell somewhere. He's writing to this church in Philippi that was a Roman colony. He's writing to them. Uh, This is a church he started once upon a time. So he's writing back to them to thank them because even in his distress, even when he's been in jail and in prison far away from them, they've been sending support. They've been sending encouragement. They've been helping him as best they could. And he's writing to say thank you, but he's also writing to give them some incredible instruction. And in Philippians 4 and verse 1, he's not done, but he he almost kind of is. He's kind of wrapping up everything he said up to this point. Point. And this morning, what I want you to hear is Paul's words in this one verse, just one verse today I want us to look at. In Philippians 4, 1, 4 verse 1, here's what Paul says. He says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. Now, I looked that up in a couple of different translations because I want you to hear the weight of that. Stay true to the Lord. In another translation, he says, Stand firm. Thus in the Lord, my beloved, or in another one, don't waver, stay on track, stay steady in God. And then he says, I love you, and I long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive from my work. Do you hear what Paul's saying at this point? Therefore, my brothers and sisters, therefore, everything up, I've said up to this point, everything that I've been talking about the last three chapters of this letter, although Back in those days, there weren't chapters. You get that, right? But everything I've said up to this point, it all comes down to this. Everything I've said up to this point all comes down to this. Stay true to the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. Don't let go. Don't give up. Don't ever forget. Stay true. Stand firm to, uh, in the Lord. And, and I may not have all the answers. You may not have all the answers. That's okay. You may not have it all figured out. Guess what? I don't either. But don't ever give up on God because he has not given up. On you, stay true to the Lord. Stay true to the Lord. Come what may, remember this. Your God is unlike any other God. And he loves you with a love that's unlike 
any other love. Like we sang about this morning. Zach, thank you for that worship. Powerful, this reckless love that we are loved with by the love of God, that he will come and he will pursue us. Some of you this morning, you feel this. You don't know why you're here, but you are being pursued by a God who loves you. And he loves you with a love that's unlike any other love. In fact, this love, there's nothing you could ever do to make him love you less. His love for you is perfect. Stay true to the Lord. And remember that you are loved. And hold on to the one who is holding on to you. And then he says, I love you. I love you. And I long to see you, dear friends. And he says this, for you are my joy and my crown. What is he saying? You know what he's saying. You are my legacy. You are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. The question that we ask as a people of faith is not what is your legacy. It's not a what. When it comes to a legacy of faith, it's not a what question, it's a who question. Who is your legacy? Who have you passed this faith on to? Who have you looked in the eye? Who have you sent a letter to? Who have you loved and said, stay true to the Lord, stand firm to the Lord? You are my legacy. Live the life that I've taught you to live. Paul, he's just poured out his heart over and over again, you know? Hold on to the one who has taken hold of you. Fix your eyes on the one who is is coming after you. Hold on to Jesus. Don't ever let go. Stand firm. Follow the pattern of my life. Do what you see me do. Follow me as I follow Christ. Paul, over and over again, has leaned hard into this idea. Stay true. Stand firm. You are my joy and my crown. You are my legacy. Who? Who is your legacy? Who is our legacy? I don't know about you, but I'm kind of in the point in my life, especially with three kids, that I want to be a part of a church, and I want to be a, a part of creating a church where our students love to come, you know? I want to be a, a, a part of a church. I want to be a part of a church, creating a church where our students love to come home too. They want to be here, even when they're not here, you know? I mean, that's I, I, I think when I think about who is our legacy, this is it. I remember when I when I very first when we first came to Riverside, Zach and Madison talked about this eight months ago. They came and and uh, just a beautiful moment for our church. When Alicia and I came some some almost four years ago, I remember one of the first things we did was go up or I went up to uh, to the teen room to our students and I wanted to spend some time with them and I wanted to tell them this. I want to say, hey, I want you to know, I want you to know this. If you ever are here on a Sunday and you get bored during a sermon, you have my permission to come and tell me that, and I will try to fix it. Some of you are already planning to come find me after church today and tell me how boring I am. Ha ha, I get it, all right? But I told them that not because I think it's our job to entertain our kids, but I do think it is a sin to bore our kids with the message of Jesus. Somebody say amen to that. I mean, come on. I think Jesus was the most engaging teacher the world has ever seen. Some 2,000 years, people are still telling his stories. Even people that don't call him Lord tell his stories. Jesus was the most engaging teacher the world has ever seen. And I think the church should be that engaging too. I really do. And I think what Paul knew, what Paul is trying to say is that, you know, God is on a mission. God, it's, it's not that the church has its own mission. It's that God has a mission. His mission has a church. And he's calling us, he's inviting us into being a part of that mission. The question is, the question is, will we do whatever we need to do to reach the next generation, to reach our neighbors, to reach our community, to reach the lost, to love those the way Jesus 
loves those that he has put all around us. And what would happen? What would happen if that was our focus? If that was the lens through which we made every decision? If that's the way we operated, not out of fear, but out of love, and not just out of any kind of love, but out of a love for those that Jesus loves. Jesus was really clear. His mission was to seek and save the lost. Some of his last words were very clear. Go and make disciples who make disciples. Jesus was never, you didn't have to do a lot of work to figure out what he was about. He was after pursuing those who were far away and sharing this faith with everyone, everyone he could. So I want to clear this, close this series and and, in this message today with just just trying to be a little bit honest. Uh, This weekend is really special uh, to me and to me and Alicia. You you wouldn't know this any other way, but I want to share this with you. Uh, It was 20 years ago on Memorial Day weekend that Alicia and I began our ministry. I think that was uh, pretty amazing to think about. Uh, This weekend is always special to us. 20 years ago today. 20 years ago uh, this weekend, it was a Friday, and we loaded up all of our earthly possessions into her green Nissan Altima (laughs) in Nashville, Tennessee, and we drove down to Gulf Shores, uh, the church that I was uh, starting to work with uh, called the Mayfair Church of Christ in, in Huntsville, Alabama, was doing a junior high family beach retreat that weekend at the beach. And I thought, man, if I can work at the beach, then I have found my dream job. Uh, so we loaded up all that we had, and we went down there. And that Friday night, we started working with that church. And I think it's kind of interesting that now 20 years later, we're talking about leaving a legacy of faith with our families. And 20 years ago, we began our ministry uh, with families who are wanting to leave a legacy of faith in their kids. Uh, it's something I'm really, really actually happy about and proud of. Um, that was 20 years ago. After 20 years of ministry, I just want to share with you kind of what I, what I see happening, and I, I want to share the story. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, a young man and his wife came in to this church uh, to worship for the first time. Now, if you know me, and a lot of you do know me, so you know this is true, whenever we have someone here for the first time, and if you're here for the first time, it just it makes me excited. I'm really grateful you're here. Um, I was really excited he was here, not just because uh, of the normal, hey, it's your first time, welcome, we're glad you're here, but, but I knew him. I knew him because when we lived in a different city and worked at a different church, he was in uh, my student ministry, and so we had a relationship, and now he was here uh, with his wife, just moved into the area, looking for a church. He knew me, he, and so he wanted to come and see what Riverside was all about, and so he came. And I want you to know, he was warmly greeted. He was, he was loved. He was welcomed. All of those things happened. People took them to lunch. It was, you know, it was, it was all the way that, that, we, that it should be. It's what you do so well. As, as we've already heard this morning, man, this church loves in, in just an incredible way. And I'm so thankful for that, so proud of that. You need to know that's not true in every church. That is true here. And they came back a second time. And you know, when someone comes back for the second time, we feel like we scored a touchdown. That's just fantastic. You know, we want to be that kind of church that people love to come and then come back to. And, and that was happening. But, but they didn't come back after that. And, and just to be just brutally honest, you can probably guess why. They, they, didn't, they didn't come back because they wanted to find a church that offered a different kind of worship experience. And you need to know, I think Zach and our team, you guys do a phenomenal job. Worship this morning was unbelievable. I love, I love it. But they were looking for something different, and they didn't come back here, and they've since placed membership at a different church. I went back and looked this week, 
uh, that young man was a part of a graduating class from his church that had 16 students in it, okay? Different church, different city, but let's just talk through it as a, as a case study. 16 students. I looked back at the list, and to the best of my knowledge, and this may not be exactly right, but it's close, only two of those students that I know of are currently in Churches of Christ. Only seven, including those two, are at a church of any kind. So that means less than 50% are still in church all these years later. Now, I share all that because I want us to keep this right in front of us. That this isn't a series that we've preached through and we haven't just worked through, you know, the few words from Paul in Philippians. And we haven't just, you know, felt better about life and ourselves and got something helpful and walked to lunch. And praise God, it's been another good day. I think we have to keep wrestling with this as a church. Because I think that this is true of you. That you care about the other 50%. I think this is true of you. That you care about our kids and our, and our grandkids. I think this is true of us, that we care about our community and our neighbors, and we care about those around us that God has put in our life. And I think, like Jesus, we want to see everyone come into a knowledge of, of Jesus as Lord, come to this knowledge of uh, the, the, the very fact that God loved us so much that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him can have everlasting life. And, and this, is, this is what we think. This is what we say in here, that Jesus is calling us to live different. Why? Because the way the world does life doesn't work. Look around. It's easy to see. Things are breaking and falling apart everywhere. Relations are breaking and falling apart everywhere. Lives are breaking and falling apart everywhere. Why? Because the way the world does life doesn't work. Jesus offers life, real life, abundant life everlasting life. This is what we believe. It's really good news, by the way, that we have found something in Jesus that leads to life the way it was always supposed to be. Do we still live in a broken world? Absolutely. Do hard things still happen? Absolutely. But even in that, the truth is you were never alone. You were never alone. Your Father will never leave you. He will never abandon you. He will never forsake you. Even when life is at its lowest, even in the valley of the shadow of death, he is with you. This is what we believe, and this is what we know. And I believe this is the message and the hope that we have, that I think every one of us cares deeply, that everyone around us knows, especially the next generation. So I start over with this question, right? What have we done to contribute to the atheism of our children? I do not like that question. I borrowed that question from professor and author Richard Beck. So if you don't like it either, you can blame him. <laughs> I don't like it because it makes me have to ask the question, what, what have I done? What actions have I taken? Or maybe better stated, what inactions have led to now a generation of church where our children are walking away from the church? You know, when you talk to those who are still in church, those who have held on to their faith, it seems like what they keep saying over and over again is they're looking for a church that has authentic worship, that has relevant preaching, and that has an outward focus. And I can't argue with any of that. They want to be a part of a church that's making a difference in this world because they want to make a difference in this world. 
And the irony is, if anyone should be making a difference in this world, it should be the Church of Jesus Christ. Because that is our calling, that is our mission, that is our goal, that we participate in making things on earth as they are in heaven, that we engage in what matters most. And that doesn't come from a desire to make the world a better place. That comes from a desire to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ. So maybe the question then is this. What is the faith of the next generation worth? My prayer is the answer to that question would be everything. That there's nothing we wouldn't do to help someone have an encounter with Jesus of Nazareth. Because I believe this is really is the heart, it's my heart, I think it's the heart of this church. That what we want is we want to see people come to an unchanging faith in Jesus in the midst of a changing world. The reality is the world around us is changing at a rapid pace, and we can't keep up. We now live in a post-Christian world, and the game has changed. We can't do what we used to do and expect the same or better results. It doesn't work that way. You know that. But slow is fast. And we can choose to reverse the trend, or we can choose to just let it slide. And my prayer is is that we would choose to reverse the trend and that we would be on mission with God in this world to share the message of Jesus with everyone. Because we want to be a people that see people come to an unchanging faith in the midst of a changing world. Church, if you would, let's, let's stand. I want to ask you this morning, uh, first of all, thank you. I know it's sometimes hard to lean into hard realities and hard truths. And I don't know what this means for our church, but I believe it means something. I think it's something that we all need to be praying about and begging God for wisdom. But I want to close this morning and close this series in this really simple way. And this too may be awkward, so I'll leave it up to you to do it or not do it. But I want to invite you just to close your eyes for a moment, if you would. Close your eyes, and uh, if you are a person of faith in the room, I I just want to ask you to maybe imagine in your mind's eye that person that you really wish was here this morning. And the fact is, they're not here because they're on vacation or they're traveling for the weekend. They're not here because they haven't been here in a while. I want to ask you to maybe envision that, that neighbor or that friend or that coworker or that person down the street that you would love to speak life into, you would love to share your faith with. I want you to think about in your mind's eye that person that, um, if you could, you would just invite to church with you. And I want you to think about the reasons, maybe why or why you wouldn't do that. I want you to get that person's image in your mind's eye, get their name in your head. And I just want to invite you to pray for them right now. Pray for them and ask God uh, to give you courage um, to speak life, to speak hope, to share your faith, to, to, to extend a simple invitation for them to come to church with you one Sunday. Um, not because this church is a one-size-fits-all church, not because we have all the answers, but you, you just want to, you want to invite them into what God is doing. And maybe, just maybe, they could find that here. Maybe they could find love, acceptance, grace, belonging a friend. Say that prayer and then just open your eyes.
What would it be like if this became our passion? What would happen in us if we decided, God, we want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. And we don't want to let anything stop, stop that from happening. We're going to lay it all down. And we're going to say, here we are. And we want you to use us. We want you to speak to us and speak through us. We want to be your church in this place, a light in this community, in the middle of darkness, sharing words of hope and encouragement, and seeing more and more people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, this morning, our shepherds and their wives are around the room, and we're going to sing a song. And uh, This morning, I just want to invite you, if, if you need prayer, Maybe if, if it's your kids who, for whatever reason, and there's lots of reasons, but if your kids this morning are far away from, from Christ for whatever reason, and you want someone to pray with you, hey, they don't have the answers, but they would love to pray with you and usher you into God's presence and pray for your son, pray for your daughter. Uh, maybe this morning you're thinking about your grandkids, and you want someone to pray for them. Man, they would love to pray with you and pray for them. Maybe you're thinking, I... I have not been living on mission. I have put other things as primary, primary importance above the mission of God. I've put my preferences, my wants, my desire, my way, way above God's mission. And I need to reorient those things and get back in line with the mission of God in this world. And I need to repent. Hey, it's okay. Sometimes as a church, as individuals, we need to confess. We have not loved who God has loved, the way he has loved. And we need to repent and pray. And maybe this morning for the first time you've realized God sent his son for you. And the way that you've tried to do life isn't working and you want to step into the life that Jesus offers. And we would love to pray with you as well. And we've got this baptistry behind us full of water. And if you don't know what that is, we'll tell you about it. We believe the baptized life is the life that Jesus is calling you into. And we would love to see you baptized into Christ today. Whatever it is, whether you pray with someone in the room or you pray where you are, you pray this week, let us be praying that God would help us to live different, live in such a way that we as a church can leave a legacy of faith. Amen? Amen. Let's sing.